Well, this is Pastor Miles and Pastor Mark, and here we are once again, gathered together to answer your deep, deep questions with our very shallow answers. Hola. Boy, oh boy. It's been a week, man. Yeah, you know, too busy. Yeah, what what happened with you in the pulpit this week? And I went see I I was locked in my. You got office. the you got the instant replay after the fact. Yeah, I was in. Uh, people were wondering where I was, but I was in my office dispensing wisdom and you know grace and all this doing marital appointments. And I had three this weekend, so it was a busy weekend. So I shut my office, but I think people thought I was gone. Yeah, but it was a fun time. Got some great couples I'm meeting with. I love it. Yeah, I've been enjoying this uh, first John series so far yeah, pretty good you finally got to verse five that's amazing congratulations amazing. yeah five through seven five through eight yeah and you know at, we're just going to keep repeating those verses for like three weeks too i think are you going to be in that the next time you teach no nah. well yeah partially kind of it, it, it plays into the next section back the bus up into the next yeah the old the old deal there yep super cool so i don't know i was listening to it and i'm like oh man he's calling sin sin he, he said the S word. You said the S word a few times. The S word has different connotations. You mean the sin word. The sin word. Okay, People get all, right, all freaked out about the sin word. You got to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what the Bible says. I want to be in the light. Be in the light. Yeah. The nice part is that passage says, if you walk in the light as he's in light, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's what we want. We want to be cleansed. Remember the old uh, junior high analogy they used to say? I'm not sure. When you turn on the light, where do the cockroaches go? They scatter. They scatter. That's it. They Men don't like love it. darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Jesus said that. You think people are evil? You know, we've had some conversations recently that just, well, hey, that guy that went into the synagogue last week, that's evil. That's straight up evil. That's super evil. So I don't know how people can see that stuff and say, no, evil's not real. No, no. Evil's for real. It's legit. That really bummed me out. Yeah, it was pretty sad. Close, it's sad. It's close to home. It really bummed me out. I was like, in my heart, I was stepping out of the kingdom a little bit. Man, I saw the, the gentleman, Rabbi Goldstein, talking to the press the next day. Man, that guy's got some serious passion. Really? Yeah. It was good. He was driving home some good truth. So, uh, He spoke at the National Day of Prayer? You know, he's a friend of our dear friend Ray Bentley's. Really? Yeah, I, Ray was saying that he's known Rabbi Goldstein for many years. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Super cool. But I, I think he was speaking at the National Day of Prayer. I think that was a really cool that's thing. That's awesome. Really cool thing. Good good job by our president on that. That was a good move. I endorsed that move. There you go. Yeah, it was good. So I'm bring Mark some, Childers, and I endorse that message. I, exactly. Bring some healing. Bring some healing to this community. Super yeah, duper. So we got, man, we got questions. We did. People are starting to send us their they're challenging questions. Well, is this our first revelation question? You know, that's actually surprising, but I think you're right. Yeah. We haven't had too many like book of revelation, apocalyptic messages, questions. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, um, is this, are we 14 or 15 today? 14. Remember lucky number 13 was last week. Okay. You know, and just a little shout out. This question comes from our dear friend, Dorothy. We love Dorothy. Dorothy's listening. I'm sure she is. So we'll give a little shout out to Dorothy. All right. Fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. Dorothy's great. She comes in every week and she asks, gives us the tough, challenging questions. Yep. Now she's just sending them to us because she wants to hear them on the podcast. Right. And she thinks she's anonymous, but she's not. She's not. Actually, she's probably not going to ask any more questions now that I gave her a shout out. Now nah, we'll give her Keep a shout Keep them out. coming, Dorothy. Uh, I think she wants Keep to be famous. Keep them coming. She wants to be famous. Totally. Okay. So the first, very first question is explain Revelation. 8.5, where it says the prayers are in a bowl in heaven. Okay, first, a uh, little little correction here. This is actually Revelation 5.8. Well, it's a little dyslexic. But they wrote, they wrote Revelation 8.5. So, right. uh, yeah, Revelation 5.8 talks about bowls in heaven, golden bowls. But this is what incense. we'll call scriptural dyslexia. You, you know a little bit about that. I know right? all about that. <laughs> Dyslexics untie? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, do you still do you still reverse things? Uh, a little bit. What I generally have a problem with is I I my brain for some reason skips over words, like they just I I won't even see it. Like the word's not there. And one of the words that routinely gets skipped by my brain is the word not, which if you miss the word not, ooh, it it really messes up a sentence. Well, definitely on a multiple guest question. Yeah. Oh, in fact, I've taken some classes at the, yeah. the school, the seminary, and I've had some questions where I'm not kidding you. I get a wrong answer and I go back and look at it and I go, I read, I read it wrong. Man. It's a problem. 
Well, it's all good though. You just got to go out and you can't go at one and a half speed, man. I got to re- I got to read slower. I can listen fast. I got to read slower. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Revelation five eight. Yeah. Revelation five eight. Um, what? Where it says that the prayers are in a bowl in heaven. What's that all about? The prayers are in a bowl in heaven. Uh, that's a good question, Dorothy. Let me read the verse just for context. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So uh, the book of Revelation is filled with all kinds of crazy imagery, including the scroll and the living creatures and the 24 elders and the lamb and all this sort of stuff. And uh, there's like volumes and volumes and volumes of books written about what the explanation of each one of these symbols is. What are these metaphors? What do they mean? What do they mean? Who are the 24 elders? Are you one of the 24 elders? No. No. You never know. You might be. Um, Hmm. Are you one of the four living creatures? Hmm. Depends on what time of day it is. Yeah, exactly. Before coffee? Good possibility. One creature. Before lunch, if I haven't eaten, I am creature yeah 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 so angry so there's all these all these images and there's all these voluminous books about what these images mean you talk about multiple guests oh man but here's the thing when it says that there are golden bowls full of incense then john actually tells us what that should be interpreted as which is interesting because he says these are the prayers of the saints so it's intriguing that he tells us that these are the prayers of the saints so what does it mean I'm not 100% sure what it means, but we see incense and prayers associated with one another a couple of times in the scriptures. And so, you know, we see that there is an altar of burnt incense that is in the temple and in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And so that is a representation. The book of Hebrews tells us that that's a representation of the heavenly temple. So John is seeing a picture of the heavenly temple, and there he sees golden bowls and incense, and then he tells us these are the prayers of the saints. So I think one of the best ways to consider why does God have the prayers of the saints in golden bowls? I personally think that it speaks to us the fact that prayer is brought to God. That's one good thing. Our right. prayers get to God. Number two, God delights in the prayers of his people. Mm-hmm. So incense is a delightful aroma. So he delights in the prayers of the saints. And uh, those things are coming before him. And the fact that they're in bowls in heaven, I don't know. I would interpret that in some respect as being that God values those and they are important to him. So, um, so in that, you know, we, we'd get our, we got lots of these things. Precious are the prayers of the saints. Right. We got our prayer requests here and we get stacks of these prayer requests every single week. And just like we think that these are important, God thinks they're important and they are brought to him and he, he answers them. They're sweet smelling aroma to him. Yeah. It's good things. Yeah. And Re- Revelation can be such a challenging book because I would say you know, one day we'll find out exactly what all what this means. stuff means. Yeah. And we know it's the revelation. It's going to reveal Christ. But it, it's a challenging book because Super there's challenging. volumes and volumes and volumes written that are conjecture, and most of them are probably going to be wrong. That's what I call speculative eschatology. Yeah, yeah. Eschatology is the study of the end times. And, yeah. and there's a lot of speculation about the book of Revelation and a lot of the things that we are thoroughly convinced about in our interpretations of it, um, we're, we're probably going to find out we were wrong. Yeah. I approach it very humbly. Yes. A I, humble eschatology. Yeah. I agree. I, I try to, because man. But here's um, the one thing we do believe. The book of Revelation ends with God establishing his rule and reign and his righteous kingdom forever and ever, and he will rule forever and ever. And that's our ultimate expectation and our ultimate hope. And he promised he would come again. In Revelation, the very last chapter says, the spirit and the bride say, come, even so, Lord Jesus, come. So, man, I can I can echo that prayer with the uh, with John the Revelator. That's a cool name, the Revelator. The Revelator. Ooh, the Revelator. sounds like a superhero. The disciple whom Jesus loved, the would Revelator. He, would he be Marvel or DC, the Revelator? Totally Marvel. Okay, all right, go with that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, my, my commentary on uh, Revelation DC is... DC is dark. Marvel. Yeah, Marvel that's yeah. true, that's true. My commentary on... Revelation is God wins. Amen. Right on. So that's my view too. Yeah. We that's, have that's why we say here at Cross Connection we have an optimistic vision of the future. Absolutely. Jesus is coming back. Praise the Lord. It's gonna be awesome. Okay, number two. I fear for the Jewish people if they are God's chosen, how or will they get to heaven if they never accept Jesus? Man, that's a tough question. 
It is a tough question. I mean, the simple answer for me is that, you know, the same way that all people get to heaven by putting their trust in Jesus. Jewish people need Jesus just as much as, you know, non-Jewish people. Right. Uh, I mean, that's the simple answer. You have any further thoughts on that? I, I mean, I really, I, I don't, um, you know, I have a lot of Jewish friends mm-hmm. that don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this one really hurts. But we have a Jewish friend who does know Jesus and we praise the Lord that she knows Jesus. Yeah, Dorothy. absolutely. But yeah, no, it's a good, it's a really valid question. Okay, but I, so one of the reasons that I think that this comes up is that there is a teaching, and I'm sure you've heard it in the church. There's a teaching that some people toss around that, um, all Jewish people, descendant of, descendants of Abraham, are going to be saved by virtue of the fact that they are descendants of Abraham. Right. And that that's just a really bad reading of the Bible. And um, it's a misinterpretation, misapplication of what's called the Abrahamic blessing, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. You know, Abraham is told by God to come follow me, and I'll bless you who blesses him and curse him and curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, that whole passage. And then it's also a misinterpretation, misapplication of Paul's words he writes in Revelation or uh, Romans, Romans cha- another R book, Romans chapter eleven that all Israel will be saved. So, so you have this conjecture, again speculation, speculative Bible interpretation, which is not a good plan. We need like systematic Bible interpretation. But you have this speculation that because there is the Abrahamic blessing, then the descendants of Abraham, Israel, are going to be saved by by just virtue of the fact that they're descendants of Abraham. But that that just does not fit because. The same Paul who wrote Romans chapter 11, where it says all Israel will be saved, he said in Romans chapter 9, um, in fact, I wrote it down here earlier just because it's so important. I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continuing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself would be accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. So he's saying, I wish that my Jewish countrymen would be saved. I'd be willing up, willing to give up my salvation that they would be saved, which is a pretty phenomenal statement. Right. So if all but, if all Israel is going to be saved just by the fact that they are descendants of Abraham, Paul would not have said that in Romans chapter right. nine. So we have to have a better interpretation for all Israel will be saved in that passage. So if you have Jewish, you know, friends who don't know Jesus, then it's an opportunity to share the gospel, and. Um, you know, it's not always easy to share the gospel with a Jewish person because they do have a knowledge of the Old Testament. A lot of times a knowledge of the, well, I've met some Jewish people who have a knowledge of the Old Testament that surpasses that of many Christians, but a lot of them actually don't know their own scriptures. Yeah, most of the most of my uh, Jewish friends really don't know uh, that much. I mean, there right. certainly was Hebrew school when they were younger yeah. and things like that. But um, yeah, man, that, that, that's really, really hard. And I think one of the things we do miss, and you you as a Christian, you come into the full, like it's this wave of reality slaps you um, when you go to Israel for the first time. Mm. And you're like, whoa, hey, this is this is really Jewish. Like I'm in Israel. Mm. And you're in Israel for the first time. You start to look around and you're like... Hebrew signs and hummus. Yeah. Not and, Hamas. No, hummus. hummus. Yeah. And, and you start to walk where Jesus walked and all those things. And, and you're like, wow, I got to rethink this. This is like... This is super Jewish. Hey, and so like, did you have the same experience that I did when I first saw the Sea of Galilee? I saw the Sea of Galilee, and I thought to myself, that's not a sea. That's a lake. I was like waiting for this epic experience the first time I went there. We got there at nighttime, so we didn't get to see it until the right. morning when the sun came up. And I was like, here we are at the Sea of Galilee. And then I look out, and I was like... Yeah, that doesn't look like a massive yeah. sea. No, it's not like as it's not as small as Lake Hodges, but it's you know is that what Syria right on the other side? Uh, no, no, I uh, mean it is. Uh, oh yeah, I mean up across the Golan yeah, Heights. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's not too and far and away. then uh, Jordan is Lebanon and Syria. Yeah, and all a that. Lebanon. Yes, a Syria. And uh, no, see, I got there at night. Yeah, and we stayed at the oh gosh, Guy Beach, right in Tiberius. Yeah, so we got there at night, and see, I knew that they uh-huh. fished at night. Yeah. So I you actually see the little green lights out on the boats. I actually brought a fishing rod. Oh, really? And I fished. did. You have one of those handy dandy like Ronco pocket fishing. No, I had a, a little uh, my trout rod that folded up. Wow, the you piece. got one of those. Oh yeah, I brought it out there. And why uh, am I not surprised? Out there with my six pound test and my Castmaster jig, and I was catching fish where the disciples caught fish. Man, did you find any money in the mouth like I, Peter? I didn't, but I was so. I kept saying to myself, 
I'm catching fish where Jesus and the boys caught fish. Did like, you cast on the other side? Absolutely. I was totally. ca- And then my second thing that ran through my line of my head was like, I wonder if I need a fishing license here. I, did, did you catch anything? Oh, absolutely. What I was killing catch? I was killing them. These tiny little fish. They're like these little tilapia looking things. Ah, and, um, St. Peter's fish. I, there you go. Those right things. On. Have you ever eaten them? Yeah, they're staring back at they're you the whole thing. Horrible. Yeah, they're, eat they, the if eat you go to pizza. if you go to St. Peter's Fish Company, <laughs> knows, eat knows. the pizza. Don't oh, eat the man. fish. Yeah, it's, oh, it's tilapia that's probably farmed somewhere else. But oh, anyway, goodness gracious. Uh, but I caught fish okay, where this is Jesus my favorite caught thing fish. About Israel, you go to all these places, these shops where they sell you stuff that's yeah. made in Jerusalem. Oh yeah, it's like, sure, yeah. This is made in China. This is not really made in Jerusalem. Yeah, but, I, I I do have some things I bought. I had so. Uh, when I would go, uh, I bought my wife some earrings. Yeah. And they're not super expensive, but they're like silver. And then they take that Roman glass and stick mm-hmm. it in there. I, mean, I don't yeah. know if it's from Rome, but they're cool. They're super cool. So every trip I'd go get, a, if you want to get a souvenir, that's a cool souvenir. There you go. We're, we're totally getting off topic here. No, we're not. We're, we're still in Israel. Jews okay. are saved by Jesus if they put their trust in him, just like other people. Right. Share the gospel with them. I'd love to bend that, make people feel good. I mean, but I'm, yeah, I'm going to stay with the gospel on that yeah, one. What it what it actually says, and there's people that say they get a special pass is the overall view, and I'm just not seeing it. And, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, man, I love the Jewish people. There's a I lot of layers them. in that that I'm, I don't think we'll get into today, yeah. but yeah, yeah, no. So mm-hmm. the answer is no. Yep. Okay. Number three, there are so many different versions of the Bible. With so many different books added and subtracted, how does someone know that they are reading the right version? That's a good question. Well, don't read the New World Translation. That's the is that the one Jehovah's with the, Witness Bible? Oh, that's not the one with the Rice Krispie Treat uh, recipe in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Because uh, I was gonna say that's a pretty laid back version of the Bible, there, man. The New World Translation is the one that the Jehovah's Witnesses did, and it's not it's not legitimate. It's not good. It's not good translation. But pretty much every English translation of the Bible is, is really, really good. Um, but there are different kinds of translations. Right. There's King Jimmy. There's New King Jimmy. Those ones, I, I like those ones. Yeah. I read the King James for a long time. I, well, when, I first became, the, when I first became a Christian, it was yeah. all King James. Yeah, there weren't a lot of Bible versions back at that point. No. I mean, because the New there, King James came out in like early 1980s and... Yeah, I mean, there was barely printing presses when I got a hold of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you and Gutenberg. Yep, just kind of hanging out. There you go. Yeah. So um, instead of talk like a pirate day, we'd have speaking James, speaking new King, old, King, old King, King James. Yeah, English. it was great. Yeah. Awesome. Have you ever met any prophets that have come to the church to you know introduce themselves to you? And I, I don't know. I've I've had this happen one time before where it's like you meet a genuine like this person thinks they're a prophet and they oh, speak yeah. with King James English. Yeah, just I think like, I've mentioned that before in the podcast. Just like the Apostle Paul, he spoke in King James English. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did crazy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's how I knew it was. He did King not, James. by the way. Speaking, you, yeah. Yeah. Um, so English translations, there's a lot of really good ones out there. There's two basic kinds of translations. One is what's called a formal translation, or um, some people refer to it as a word-for-word translation or a literal translation. And then you have uh, the other side is what's called a thought-for-thought translation or sometimes people refer to it as a paraphrase. And so the the NIV and the New Living Translation and some of those translations that are a little bit easier to read, mm-hmm. they follow more of that kind of thought-for-thought translation. But then the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, the King James Bible, the New King James Bible, they follow a more um, word-for-word or formal translation where they're trying to do a formal equivalence from the Greek text. They're trying to bring it right over so that you get the closest to the Greek text as possible. And if you're looking for the closest English Bible to the Greek text, text then that would be the New American Standard Bible, NASB. NASB, got one of Which those. is a good translation, but we teach here. I teach, I don't know, you probably do too, from the New King James. Uh, yeah, I like the New King James. Yeah. It's a good translation. I like the way it reads. Yeah, in, in so many verses that I memorized right. were in King, King James. James. And yes, so to, me too. to go back to that. So yeah. it, it Well, and good. so there's a certain poetic kind of meter to a lot of the texts in the King James Bible, which were also is, somewhat brought over into the New King James Version. Is that like iambic pentameter? If you want to say that, but you're kind of like a homeschool family, that totally went over my head. Oh, well, that's it's a thing. No, I remember iambic, iambic pentameter. I, I don't remember what it means. It's for poetry. It's yeah, for I know it's poetry, but I don't remember what it means. Like is that the meter, it. the beat? I think so. So yeah. in Hebrew, Hebrew follows a beat as well. It's a 3-3 three, three beat. And then they have lament 
a lamentation follows a three two, so it's kind of a dirgy da 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 da. That's the unhappy yeah. scripture. Yeah, it's the unhappy one. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't show up in the English so much. It only shows up in the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so but the, some of some of the iambic pentameter of the King James. I'm, I'm probably way off, and some English person is going to come and come yeah, back. Yeah, it's not on. iambic per- pentameter. I know it's some not. of the poetic metering of the King James comes through in the New King James, but it doesn't show up in some of the other translations. Okay, so uh, we talk about uh, books being added and subtracted. Not that many books. I mean, you know, we can go into the canon and all that if you want. But. Yeah, this is a good question. So, um, so there are. First they, of all, let me be straight. Right. I think it's really cool that it was called the canon. Totally. Yeah. Canon, the canon of scripture. Yeah. It's awesome. Kaboom. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so the Catholic Bible has uh, some more books. I think we talked about this once before. We did. Did Sirach and all those other yeah, books. Yeah, the Catholic yeah. Bible yeah. has some more books than the English Bible does. Uh, you have first and second Maccabees and Tobit and you know a number of books, the the wisdom of uh, Solomon these sort of things. So these books are in the what's called the Apocrypha, but they do not appear in some of the earliest Jewish texts. Pardon me of the Old Testament, and so um, the you know early church fathers did not include them in the canon of Scripture. Right. So what were the standard? When they did this as a standard, what the best that you can recall, what do you think the standard was for, hey, this is making it in the Bible and this isn't? Well, they, you know... The harmony of the Gospels and all that? I mean, if you look at 2nd century AD, the church was already assembling the many of the New Testament books that we have into mm-hmm. codices, codex, which you have... You have scrolls, which are, you know, a scroll, and then codex is a book like we think of, like an actual book that you open. Right. So they were already, like virtually all of Paul's letters were in the second century AD were put into a codices of Paul's letters. And so most of the New Testament books by the end of the first century were already, there's many um, early Christian fathers that make reference to the four gospels and these sort of things. What people are generally asking about here is not even the Apocrypha in the Old Testament. They're talking about some of the Gnostic gospels right. that came about yeah. in the late second century. And the church never viewed those as being a part of the canon of Scripture. So, you know, that's something that has come up by a lot of um, critics in 20th right. century and 21st century that make a big deal about the Gnostic Gospels. But the Gnostic Gospels, the church fathers did not view those as scriptural because they were not from the apostles. Like someone says, here's the Gospel of Thomas. I mean, you can read the Gospel of Thomas, and there's some pretty strange things in the Gospel of Thomas. I've read it. Um, but or uh, but there, there's nothing in there that that any other church fathers would have said, yeah, this was written by the apostle Thomas because it came in the second century, you know, probably about a hundred years after he was dead. Are you hearing music? Wow. I am. Wow. I saw our worship leader is like practicing. That's awesome. That's a amazing reason. Man, it's like harmonies, like just coming through the walls here. This is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, well, there you go. It's, there's always something. This is like Santa's workshop. We're getting over ready here. for this, Sunday. It's yeah, beautiful. It's you know, it's Thursday, but Sunday is coming, man. So um, that's good to know because yeah. the, the the these other gospels that didn't make it in there. And I think one thing that people need well, to and be. I, I think we shouldn't even say it gospels that didn't make it in there because the the well they weren't gospel. They were not gospels. Right. So um, it is believed that Mark was the first gospel to be written. Um, so you have Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and then John was written much later. John was written probably near the end of the first century AD, so somewhere between 85 and 90 AD. But the the other gospels, it is believed by most of the scholars that that I think are worth you know looking into um, that the gospels were finished before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Now I know there are some there are some people that want to push back against that, but there's a lot of evidence to support that. Especially the authorship of Mark was written pretty early because uh, it it appears. In uh, Paul's letter, to, first letter to Timothy, First Timothy chapter five, Paul quotes Jesus, and it's a quote right out of the Gospel of Mark. And so it would appear that Paul, who writes First Timothy somewhere in sixty to sixty-three A.D., they already had the Gospel of Mark at least. And right. so, and we see the same is true for Matthew and Luke as well. So, so those things were probably completed somewhere in the fifties A.D. and uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John came much later. Right. And then you got to be, you know, just to put people's hearts at rest here. You got. You cannot major in the minors. There is no book that has been researched more, turned inside out, upside down, sideways, than the Bible. I can't think of anything that's been researched more than the Bible. It's just it up and and people way smarter than us. Okay, I mean, I read we're you know at amateur genius level perhaps today, not really, but these 
professors and 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 just it has been researched inside out and upside down and like, then but, on but top of it all to give you like an example yeah. of how how good the manuscript evidence for the new testament is i just went to a website that i that i've gone to frequently from a guy named matt slick who's a who's a really good theologian on some of these points or apologist i would say and you know he makes the point that some of the ancient documents that we put a lot of like a lot of weight in like for example have you ever heard of the the historian herodotus or herodotus yeah, yeah 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 so the histories of herodotus they we only have eight copies of the histories of herodotus and we believe these things to be pretty worthwhile and to look into and so we think yeah those are those are important or have you ever, ever heard of pliny the elder so we have some documentation from this guy pliny the elder we have seven copies from pliny the elder for the new testament or um the, one of the better ones would be Homer and the Iliad, you know, Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah. Homer has 643 copies. The New Testament, we have 5,600 copies of of Old Test, or of New Testament documents. So uh, it's pretty impressive when you look at the documentary evidence there. Right. And then you're just, let's take some percentages as to what you're going to read, what you're going to understand, and what you're going to act on. I mean, if you're, if you're not going to read the Bible or put your faith in what the Bible says, because you think there is an infinitesimal chance that there's going to be a word out of place. I mean, you're, you're, you got a better chance of winning the lotto, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a whole lot of scholarship on manuscript evidence. I mean, there's so many good books that are written on manuscript evidence of the Bible. <laughs> there's music, man. It's, Awesome. Yeah. Awesome music here. Cool. All right. Now, um, so I think we've, we've got that one kind of, I mean, and you're, you're, you're responsible for what you know. Yeah. Right. And so you're, you're, you know, if there, if you, if you, you miss, know, here's my favorite part. I've had conversations with skeptics in the past who have an issue with the manuscript evidence, of the Bible. And I say, have you ever read the Bible? No, exactly. Yeah. I've never had one say, yep. And it's like, okay, well, why don't you go read that and uh, look into the evidence for yourself? Because I don't even know that I want to have a conversation with you about the reliability of Scripture if you've never read the Bible. It's like talking about motorcycles with a guy who's never ridden one. That's a great point. You know? Or you have a you have a gun control conversation with someone who's never shot a gun in their life. Right. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, point made. All right. Don't get me on my hobby horse on this one. Yeah, don't mess with me. Right? Yeah. Are you cracking your knuckles? I think so. Yeah, oh, well, releasing some yeah, tension yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go, man. Yeah. What happened to Miles? How did he end up in jail? Oh, yeah, my well, goodness. you know, he, he, yeah. Yeah, he, someone brought yeah. him a, a he, complaint against the Bible. Yeah, he headbutted some guy on the inerrancy of scripture. Yeah, I love it. You know, I'm just looking at this list of authors of ancient texts. There were some really cool names like Euripides. Euripides is a great name, Aristophanes. Yeah, these are good names. Euripides? Euripides is coming back. Euripides. Knock, you think knock. that's going to be... Who's there? Europe. Europe who? <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> no, nice. But... That You know, there's an old joke about the two Greek guys, right? One was a tailor. I think I, I messed that joke up because I was going to be... Your, knock, knock. Who's there? Euripides. Euripides who? Euripides jeans, I'm going to punch you. Oh, man. <laughs> these are from my kids. Oh, we had... Man. Someone gave us a knock-knock joke book. The, okay, knock-knock joke... Uh, Joke books for kids. If you, I'm going to get in trouble for doing the Europe who one. The only, I'm not kidding you. Like a couple of weeks ago, my my son got in trouble for saying that one. Where, he, he said the Europe who one in, at home in, to to one of one of the grandmas, and the grandma's like, "Are you supposed to say that?" So, oh my, it was awesome. It was yeah, awesome. Yeah, talk about majoring in the minors. It was awesome. It was good. Yeah, it was good. yeah. Oh, that's funny. No, what's it? The, the and he goes, G- my dad told me that joke, and it was like, okay, never mind. Yeah, exactly. Never okay, heard. yeah. Well, yeah. Once again, something I might consider editing out of the podcast. I'll just tell you, if you want to commit an act of terrorism Uh-oh. on a family, my first line of defense is get their son a drum kit. That's just, that's what you do to your enemy. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm just saying, but if you want to really, the second do one is... Do you remember the want... little, little tyke thing that you push around? It's like on a stick and it has yeah, a little like popper. Popcorn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. My aunt bought one of those the for The most me. hideous toy on the planet. This is, I, it was either Addison or Evangeline was like three years old. And my, my parents got that for the kids for Christmas. I was like, do you not like me? Was that, was that, and I just said, Hey, we're just going to leave this at grandma and grandpa's. Well, the other one that goes with it is the toy lawnmower. 
Yes, it's got the popper too, but that that at least you take out on the lawn for the most part. Well, the kids used to run it through there. So my kid would get, sometimes somebody would give him a toy that was talking or would make noise. Talking toys are of yeah, the devil. Yeah, horrible. And we're not talking about the, the talking Barbie head. The so, worst is when the talking toy just starts talking in the middle of the night by itself, and you're going, there, there is a demon in that toy. Yeah, and it's energizing. I'm and, Buzz Lightyear, and I'm here to help. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to infinity and, and beyond. beyond. Yeah. yeah. So, but what happens is, is they go, oh, can I take that in the bath with me? I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. Hey, how come it doesn't work anymore? I have no idea. We'll talk about electricity next week. So. Yeah. So anyway, um, oh, yeah, if you want to commit an act of terrorism, just get, get it, give a, one of those corny joke books. Yeah. When kids um, are learning to read and they just come in, they beat you to death with these I jokes. think that that was a part of one of our um, Christmas gifts uh one of our uh, white elephant christmas gifts this last holiday because i went home with a uh, 101 knock knock jokes right. or the corny dad jokes i think it was corny dad something jokes. like that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. my yeah. kids love it that's great and then they they repeat them till you just you want to scream yep wow yep okay where were we i'm just we're off the freeway here number somewhere. four okay yeah we're in number four um but yeah yeah. Okay. So we've answered this question before in previous talks. Yeah. And it's funny because people always say, they always preface this question. This is a loaded question. I really don't think it is. I don't think it's a loaded question. I have no, I have no yeah. problem answering this question. Yeah. This is not a loaded question. Um, but it says, this is a very a loaded question. question. Can you explain how God views gay people? How is it that someone can grow up knowing the scriptures, yet still feel the urge to love and even marry another of the same gender? Today's society pushes to accept gays and gay marriage. So what is Cross Connection's belief on society's acceptance versus God's word in the scripture? What are all of the sins? What are all of the sins? Gosh, that could get a long podcast. This would be a long long podcast. podcast. Yeah. 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 Um, So that that question we're not necessarily going to go into. But you know what? I have so many things that go through my mind when I think about this question. Um, For one, can you explain how God views gay people? God views gay people like all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God loves all people, including people who have same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. So so I think we just need to recognize that that gay people are just people. So let's just remove the, the gay word in front of it. Just say, he, he loves all people. He loves them. He desires them to come to the knowledge of the truth and to come to repentance and walk in righteousness before him. That's what he desires from all of us. So... How is it that someone can grow up not knowing or knowing the scriptures and yet still feel the urge to marry or to love and even marry someone of the same gender, same sex? So, I I mean, we all have inclinations towards all kinds of things that are outside of the bounds of what is right before God. You know, uh, people have the inclination to be angry and rage on people when they get mad. Uh, People have the inclination to lie. I mean, sin. Man, I did not have to teach my kids to lie and yeah. saw that pretty quickly. Yeah. So people have the inclination to be greedy. People have the inclination to commit adultery. People have the inclination to fornicate. I mean, every possible thing that you could think of, we have the inclination to do these things, but it doesn't mean that they're okay. So so we just need to recognize that if there's something that God outlines in the scriptures as out of bounds, then we recognize that that's sin. And I think the good way, at least one of the ways that I look at this is that if we believe what the Bible says, that God is creator and that he made us, then like anyone who makes anything, the people who made my phone, the people who made this microphone, they created it for an intended purpose. And so they outline in the, the, the manual how to use it so that it doesn't break, how to use it in the proper way. And if I use it in the improper way, it's going to break. So God who made us gave us a user's manual called the scriptures, his holy law. Yeah, good point. And he says, this, this is how you are to utilize this life that I've given you, this body that you have. And if you use it in a different way, even if your inclination is to use it in that way, then you're going to break it. And man, we've met a lot of people with broken lives who did what they wanted to do, what their heart quote led them to do. Right. I just followed my heart and you followed your heart into all kinds of things that got you into tons and tons of trouble. So, and the directions didn't matter. Right. Just because you have the urge to do something doesn't mean like, man, just do everything that's in your heart. I mean, that's got to be one of the worst um, little tips of advice that has grown to be a really big thing in the last 25, 30 years in our nation is like, you just got to follow your heart, man. Really? Is that what we tell the, the murderer who killed someone? Yeah. You know, I, you know, I had this passionate, you know, anger and I followed my heart to kill this person. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that, that we need to be really careful with in the, in the church is for somehow some church people 
have made the queen mother the big deal sin as homosexuality yeah. is just the ultimate sin. And I would say no. Yeah. It, it, no. And, and the reason they do that is most of us, and I'm it just taking... Like you've always said, it doesn't even reach into the, the top six. Yeah. It, the it, six things the Lord hates. Yeah, seven it, are an abomination. It, it doesn't even hit that. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing about homosexuality is it's because it's something that most of us, if you look at a percentage-wise, right. do not struggle with. Don't have problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and so if you don't struggle with it, it's a really easy one to throw on everybody else so that you look better. And you've just added to Scripture, buddy. Yeah. You've just you've just spoken for God in a way that he is not intending you to speak the way you're doing that. And and we need to look at it as sin. Yeah. And and at sin and and have God's view of sin, but also we need to have the God's view of the sinner. Well, and I I mean I think it needs to be said that I I do think that there are people and you know you can make the case that it was something that happened in their early childhood, whatever you want to say they were born this way. I don't, I don't care how you say it. We're, we're all broken. We're all born sinners. My kids were all born liars. All of our kids were born thieves and all these sorts of things. We have to train them and socialize them to not do those things. So, so if a person says to me, I believe that I was born this way. Okay, perfectly fine. They were born with a same sex attraction. I'm I'm okay with that. I was born with a heterosexual attraction, but I'm still going to seek to follow what the scriptures have to say if I want to walk in righteousness before God, if I want to walk in relationship with him. So to have same-sex attraction, in fact, I had a conversation with someone right after the service on Sunday about this very thing after the third service. They were asking almost this identical question. And I said that if a person, we have to disconnect the concept of same-sex attraction from gay, because a lot of times when we hear gay, people think of living out a gay lifestyle involved in a gay homosexual relationship, involved in homosexual relations, all these sorts of things. So having same-sex attra- attraction and living out that lifestyle are two totally different things. And so there are people who are born with a same-sex attraction, if we want to say they were born that way, who are walking with God in righteousness, and they're not acting on those urges. So, you know, they're walking with the Lord, and they still have that same-sex attraction. Now, how do we how do we account for that as being created by God? Because there was the big you know, thing a few years ago, one of the well-known musicians came out with a song, uh, like born this way or something. I don't remember what it was. And, uh, you know, this is the whole thing of like, this is how I was made. This is the way I was created. And I'm living out the way that I was created. Everything that is born into this world is born under the fall. And so we are all fallen. So we have all kinds of inclinations to do things that are outside of what God would command us or call us to do. Right. And we're not in charge of, you know, picking the sins out. I mean, if you went to anybody and you said, well, what's the matter with murder? Because that's in my heart. Right. They go, oh, no, you can't do that. Uh-huh. Well, why not? Red lights mean stop. Green lights mean go. Mm-hmm. And there has to some, there's a standard there. But we can't, we don't get to pick that standard. Yeah. And it's sin is sin. And, uh, yeah, we got to watch it. And I'll also say this. Um, one of the things that's really hard for you Christians out there right now, too, and I get it. I What I do struggle with is the big push to normalize this and call it not sin and to ram it down everybody's throats and uh same with the gender thing and all this and to, to basically say that evil is good and good is evil and so i understand we're under fire in that and we're frustrated with that uh it angers me to see uh good called evil and evil called good but we can't come out and react to it in a way that is hurting people or um, addressing just one type of sin. So we can't do that. We can't do that. God hasn't called us to that. Now, I will say, uh, I don't know what you think about this because we haven't really talked about it, but uh, do you think sexual sin carries a certain type of repercussion to it? And I'm not saying more more in God's eyes, but are there certain repercussions to sexual sin that you don't see with other sins? Well, you know, Paul... Because we're, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. We're Paul makes body. a comment in, in Corinthians yeah. about sexual sin, uh, immorality, he calls it, um, being a sin against your own soul. So there, there's a certain aspect of this that cuts deeper than, say, lying right. or, or stealing. I do think that sexual sin, and you know, he, Paul also makes the comment of when you join, he's using the concept, see, when, when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, the Corinthians were known for having temple prostitutes and the number of the false god worshiping temples in that area, which is 
a really amazing thing. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, the brothers at Corinth, the Christians, <laughs> and he's telling them, stop going and seeing temple well, prostitutes. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking in my head, what would the Pigeon Bible say about the temple oh prostitutes? My gosh, we'll what would they be? Oh, yeah. Horrible. The, we'll have to check that out. We're going to have to look that up. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I bet but, that'd be funny. But this is, this is the amazing thing. Like uh, people complain about in the modern church, there's sin in the church. Like, go read the book of Corinthians. These people were Christians. They're a part of the church. They're getting drunk when they're having the Lord's Supper. So, like, people are getting plastered at the Lord's Supper. They're having communion and getting drunk. And Margarita and, night at Connect. I guess yeah, so. Yeah. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, you Corinthian Christians, stop going and seeing temple prostitutes. But he makes the comment in that book that he who joins himself to a prostitute is joined. There, there's a There's a deeper than physical connection that happens when two people have sexual relations and anyone who has had sexual relations inside of marriage or you know before they were married they right. realize that there are connections that that are maintained that are not a not a good positive thing in the long run right. and so i mean how many times do we have uh married marriage counseling with people because of that that very issue that outside of the bonds of marriage you have brought destruction but i will say with our culture like one of the things and i was just having this conversation with someone the other day I even wrote down some things as i was talking with him we one of the major major problems that we are experiencing in america and just western culture is that we have come to believe especially since the 1960s and the liberation of sexuality in the 1960s we've come to believe that the ultimate expression of human um, of humanity is to have sex Therefore, if we look at someone who is single and has been a virgin in our culture, it's look, they're looked at as like, well, that poor person. And it's like, well, hey, listen, Jesus was in his 30s and he was a celibate man, single celibate man. Do we think that he was any less experiencing uh, fullness of life? I, I mean, he is life incarnate. And so there's, there's all kinds of evidences as well that Paul, at the time that he writes his letters, there's question about whether or not he was um, married at a certain point. Some people believe he was, some people believe he wasn't, but if he wasn't, then Paul remained a single man and a celibate single man through his entire life. And in our culture today, we would look at that and go, well, there's something wrong with him. It's like, well, wait, no. I'll tell you one thing. If you're 35 and you're single, you don't have to worry about anybody telling you how many tacos you can eat. That's true. Yeah, and Paul makes very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe it is, that you have the ability to serve God unhindered. That's true. The person who's married is concerned about the things of this world, Paul says, and they're concerned about their spouse. So, What are some things that get less married guys we can, we're concerned with? You just want to get me in trouble, don't you? No, no, no. I just think it's, I think it was great. You were calling out sins here, and, when, and then you were talk about tiptoe through the tulips and you don't know what i'm talking I about i did not tiptoe through any tulips oh yes, is that a you, wizard of oz no tiny no. tim but that's tim. From the okay, well, anyway so there you go. bad hair but anyway uh now you're gonna have to google that and see who he is you're googly yeah you googly but okay. anyway you talked about oh and maybe you bought something that you didn't tell your spouse about so you didn't throw women under the bus right and then you guys, you know, you, you mentioned the male when it comes to looking at... You are assessing my message far too No, deeply. I was checking it out. I'm like, oh, he skipped around. The, the, so you're, you're probably right. I probably even intentionally did totally that totally did. Was your wife in the service? No, she was working this weekend. Oh, okay, good. She's so, in the ICU doing the hard work. So, like, uh, you know, like, life in connection with Pastor Miles and Pastor Mark here. So, like, what, what are the, what's some good ground rules for that? Like, if you're, I mean, do you have to tell your wife about everything you buy? I got a question from one of our staff members saying, do you have to tell your wife about the gun that you bought that you didn't tell her about? I know, I know. Well, my wife... You probably shouldn't hide these things because if you're going to hide your spending from your spouse, she's going to hide her spending from you. They actually say in, you know, reading counseling books, you're more right. likely to cheat on your spouse in the, with in finances yeah, absolutely. With, than with it. So it's funny We're all guilty of it. Every one of us have made a purchase that, you, that we didn't necessarily it, want the other one to know about that's and it the, wasn't the birthday gift you bought for her. no heck no it wasn't mother's no. day's coming up you better get those gifts you better guys. step up and really you know yeah you better do not bring trouble upon your own home we we it has taken us 46 minutes to answer four questions it is okay holy it moly is this, this is, is valuable one, information this is a long one here this is valuable information to run your life okay we're still on number four here it says today's society pushes to accept homosexual marriage that's how i'll say it so what is cross connections belief on society's acceptance versus god's word in the scripture we will always default back to god's word i mean in the state of nevada prostitution is legal well that's accepted in that culture is that okay nope. no no uh in the state of california 
you can recreationally smoke marijuana. Now there's a lot of discussions about this. I had a discussion with about 20 pastors about this just the other day about whether or not this is good or not good. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily in line with the teaching of scripture. So just because it's legal, adultery is legal. You know, there's no laws on the books against adultery in our country. Getting drunk's legal. Yeah. So all these things are legal, but just because something is legal does not make it moral or right before God. So yeah, homosexual unions, I'm, I'm going to call it unions because we don't, we don't, I don't classify that as marriage. Uh, marriage is defined by God in the Bible. And so uh, homosexual unions, I think that the government needs to have a very clear way for which two consenting adults are joined together in a union that the state recognizes as being a union that they're joined together in for property rights and custodial rights and all these sorts of things. So the government has to deal with that. That's not an issue for the church. Politics can figure that sort of stuff out. It's not called marriage. So marriage is as God defines it. Okay. So I I don't think we're... I'm sure going to get myself into trouble on it. I don't think we left any stones unturned. 760-814-1223. Send your messages. Exactly. So Number five. People are still going to want to know, Miles. What? Should you tell them? I mean, like my wife tells me we have something called Nordy Claws. Uh-huh. And so like shoes magically. She doesn't have to tell you? Show No, she doesn't. I don't care. Man, I, I don't think there is a day of the week. And now that they come on Sunday, I don't no. think there's a day of the week that there's not an Amazon package on the De Benedictus doorstep. Isn't that crazy? Well, here's the deal. If you, if it, with Nordstrom. Yeah. And cause I know you're a Nordstrom shopper cause you bought that sweet white belt. I right? did. And those, but at Nordstrom, yeah. if you buy shoes at Nordstrom, you can try them on in the comfort of your own living room. Why wouldn't you try them on in Nordstrom? You don't have to go. You're not pressured. Oh, you're saying online. Yeah, you're not pressured. You, you, gotcha. You, okay. I was not trying on. Great. And then if you don't like them, you still get the points and you send them back. Oh, you drop goodness. them off at Nordstrom. Yeah, so that's tell, Nordy Claus. Tell my wife these I, that's why the exact number five. Please I, let's move that's on. Why I, I am I don't bringing want to talk this about up? I love it. No more shopping. No more shopping. No more shopping. Oh man. Okay. All right. So uh, we're done with that. Uh, what are all the sins? Number yeah, we, five. Number we got five. Into those five. Cinco. How come we have to choose every moment to walk in the light instead of just once? Why isn't it instinctual after we choose it once? I'll let you answer this one. Well, you know, it's so funny. Uh-huh. There's the, the marriage counseling thing where, you know, the couple's been married 15 years. And yeah. she says, you know, he never tells me that he loves me. And he says, I told you once when we got married, married. If, it, if something changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not like that. Uh, okay. So, um. I think is it Romans seven, like fifteen through twenty. Paul talks about. What oh he yeah, does, yeah, yeah. The good things I want to do, I don't do. The bad things I don't want to do, that I practice. So you Paul's, know, there's, there's Paul's struggling all, with it. There's he's all a, kinds of discussion on this passage by yeah. scholars about whether or not this is speaking of Paul when he was a Christian. Is this speaking about Paul after he was a, or before he was a Christian? Is this speaking about Paul? Is he giving a hypothetical? I choose to think that. As, and, you know, you can go back and listen to my messages in Romans chapter 7 I did a number of years ago. I, I, I still believe what I believed then. I do believe that Paul is speaking about a struggle that he experienced post putting his trust in Jesus Christ. Because he says in that very passage, he's talking about himself, and he says that the law brings the knowledge of sin, and I would have not known covetousness had the law not said, thou shalt not covet. So he's recognizing a struggle that he experienced as a follower of God. Now, th- all that aside, if that's the case, that he's giving insight into a post-Christian experience, so a person has experiencing this after they put their trust in Jesus, then yeah, it indicates that when we become followers of Jesus, our sin nature is not completely subdued. It's not gone. So, I mean, I put my faith in Jesus Christ a long time ago. I was baptized when I was a kid in high school. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I still have the temptation to sin just like any other sinful person. Hopefully, by God's grace, we're able to respond to temptation the right way uh, and not, you know, follow the, the desires of our flesh towards those things. But I have not experienced in my life that the sin nature is completely gone after I put my trust in Jesus. How about you, Mark? You're pretty much perfect. You've got this walking in the spirit thing down pretty darn well. Not so much. What? Not so much. You Man, know you fake it really well. Oh, uh, well, you know, I mean, what do they say? You know, when you can fake sincerity, you got it made. There you go. Somebody said that. I try yeah, not to be. Yeah, I, try to be yeah. I try to be truthful and real. That's what gets me into trouble. I try to be really truthful. But like James, yeah, and I tell people all the time, I've gotten in trouble way more for telling the truth than I ever have for lying. Hmm. I mean, all the time. Tell people the truth sometimes. But uh, then James, in James 5, he talks about uh, the tongue. Mm, fiery member. Right. But he says, with you know, on one hand, we're blessing God with it. 
we're speaking the things of God, and the other one, we're cursing men with it who are made in God's image. And so there's a little bit of a struggle there, too. So He's talking to about, do, yeah. you know, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So uh, there's that, uh, no, we don't, don't do it. I do like the fact that Paul refers to being like an athlete when you're running the race, that it's an endurance race. Uh-huh. And so that intimates, intimates that there's training. Walking in the Spirit takes time. It does. It does. It takes Discipline. training. It needs to become a and, good and that's habit. And that's the exact thing. We need to learn to walk in the Spirit, choosing to not gratify the desires of the flesh. The, right. the flesh wars against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary so that you do not do the things that you want. That's Galatians chapter 5. So right. it, it's very clear that there is this, this need to grow into Christ-likeness and to walk according to His Spirit directing us. Right. It's like any discipline you ever want to master. You know, you did martial arts. If you want to master a discipline, yeah. you have to practice it. You Lots. have to spend time in it. It has yeah. to become second nature to you. And so uh, it's just you know, spending you know, the time. A habit is just a bad practice. A bad habit is just a bad practice. And so if you practice the wrong way, if you practice always giving in to your flesh when you have a temptation to look at something you shouldn't look at or just spend something you That's don't right. have the money for, if you are always practicing that and you never discipline yourself to not do that and change the habit you will be stuck in sin for a long time and you will not be a joyful christian wax on wax off that's right go polish some cars dude go catch some flies with chopsticks there you go okay so uh that's why it's not instinctual because we're always fighting the flesh daniel Larusso, winner of the hill valley karate tournament 1989 it's funny how these these these, these movies shaped our. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, if it was 1989. I, took, I threw that one in. Uh, I think it was Hill Valley. Is that what it was? Did you see that YouTube did a like a remake of adults Daniel Larusso and the guy that he got in a fight? No, it's totally totally corny and awesome. If you want to watch corniness, check it out. It's beautiful. Is it worse than it takes a church? It's on the. It's on par with the cheese scale. The cheesy okay, scale. Number six. Okay. Um, what was the significance of Jesus riding in the dirt? Uh, so we were talking about this on Sunday. I talked about John chapter 8, that here's the religious leaders bring the woman caught in adultery, cast her down in front of Jesus, and Jesus stoops down and starts riding in the dirt. Dude's already out having a soda and a smoke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, wherever he is. I think he was probably one of them. It was entrapment. I think he was probably one of the Pharisees. Well, I, well like the, to witness, not to get too far in the weeds in this, but like... Didn't they have to have a bunch of witnesses? So, like, a bunch of people had to be checking they this were, out. They were watching this one. Man, it was a setup, bro. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, so what was Jesus she got riding in the dirt? Um, actually, there's there's no possible way to know what Jesus yeah. was riding in the dirt. Any Anything would be speculation. However, there is an interesting verse in Jeremiah chapter 17. Ooh, interesting verse brought to you by... Interesting verse. So, Jeremiah 17, 9, you know, the heart of man is Deceit, desperately yeah, wicked. or... Deceitful and wicked, yeah. desperately wicked, deceitful yeah, and wicked of wicked. all things. Who can know it? God searches the heart. Well, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth Ooh. because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Which is interesting because just a few verses mm-hmm. before Jesus writes in the dirt, he stands up and proclaims that he is the fountain of living waters in John seven thirty seven, And then John seventeen thirteen, it connects with that. So there's some kind of pentameter there, bro. It's some, something. It's some amazing connection. So I'm something. not sure, but there's a speculation. You've probably heard this from Bible teachers oh, before. I, I've got the names? That Jesus was writing names of the people who are standing there and sins that they had done, like he's exposing their sin. But it's really a trip because it says... And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, yeah. they were convicted and they left. So it's like, maybe he's just like, number one, we're going to talk about the oldest Pharisee here. And we're going to say, hey, Pharisee Bilbo Baggins, here's your sin. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I just, I just crossed universes there. there. You, you see how well, I did that. You mentioned in the sermon that he goes, yeah, Jesus was just frustrating these guys. I oh, mean, that's awesome. Can you imagine? Like you get, you get busted, right? Yeah. And, and I love the comment from Jesus. I love it. And then, and then you get busted in your head and you're just sitting there and he's just drawing in the sand, <laughs> building a sand castle, you know, making smiley faces. It doesn't matter. You're going to get convicted and just like, I'm Rabbi, out. we came here to hear from you and here you are egging us on. Yeah, man, they Gotta messed that it. one up. Talk about it going bad. The whole time they were plotting to kill him anyway. So yeah, that, was a, that plan did not come together. So nope. we don't really know. 
he what killed he the guy writing? and then he didn't stay dead. What are you going to do about that one? Oh, man. They're really bad at killing people. Lucky number seven. Okay. Who must I confess my sin to? Obviously, we know, you know, confess your faults to one another. That, that That's James chapter up. five, right? Yeah. Um, First they... and foremost, you need to confess your sins to God. That's what the passage in, in uh, John that we were looking at, First John says. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So right. the confession, the implication is we're confessing to him. Right. And now let's go the practical part of that. Yeah. You're sitting down. Yep. I mean, you're confessing your sins to somebody on the surface. You go, well, that's kind of crazy because the Lord already knows my sin. But the the physical act or the practical act of just the significance of saying admitting your guilt before the creator of the universe does a couple things. You've spoke it with your mouth. You've said it. It's come out and you've admitted it. And it's kind of the difference, I think, between, you know, it's married guys to bring marriage up again. There's a, it's a lot different to just think that you've apologized rather than just to go up and actually... It's when you have to sit down and say, listen, honey. I messed this up. I bought a new rifle and I didn't tell you about it. It was a Red Ryder 2000 with a thingy in the stock that tells time and I had to no, have it. No, it was a 6.5 Creedmoor. Oh, but it was gorgeous. It Chassis is. rifle, Ruger? Yeah. Per, per adventure. Per adventure with a, with a Vortex scope and a cool bipod. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, anyways. <laughs> so confession, confession. Uh, confess your sins one to another, says James chapter 5. That's, that's, that's a challenging one. I do think that it's helpful if you have an area of sin in your life that you're struggling with. It's good to make your account, yourself accountable. If you're a guy, make yourself accountable to another guy. Right. Someone you trust, someone you know that's going to pray for you, someone who's no, you know who's going to challenge you to walk in righteousness. And then... If you tell the person, hey, listen, I struggle with this, whatever it may be. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's pornography. I don't know. Whatever it is. You tell them that you struggle with this thing, and they're going to keep you accountable. And if you fail, you need to go confess to them that, hey, I screwed up. Right. And I have different guys over time. You know, I have relationships with different guys. And they'll come in and say, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this. Will you hold me accountable? I'm not going to talk to them every day about that. Exactly. I don't have the time for that. But when I see them. Ain't nobody got time for that. No, ain't nobody got time for that. But when I see them. It's as simple as we can be anywhere else. I go, are we having victory or not? Yeah. Or just, hey, bro, how you doing with that? Yeah. And they know exactly what you're talking about. There can be other people around and it, it's all good. Know. But they know I know. Right. And so, and when you we know meet, I know and I know you know. I know stuff about stuff. I echo that. Yeah. Let me echo your unspoken. So, uh, yeah. So chiefly, we need to confess our sin to God because he's the one who forgives us. But there are times where we should uh, involve another brother if you're a guy or a sister if you're a woman uh, to keep you accountable and confess your sins. But there's another thing that I think is another layer of this as well. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother yeah. has aught with you, leave your gift at the altar and go be restored to your brother. So sometimes if you screwed something up, we can go back to the husband-wife thing. You said something stupid. You need to go confess your wrong and apologize. Right. If you want restoration of relationship. And no cheese ball apology. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, I had a bad upbringing and this and that. And Joe talked me into it. And the devil no. made me do it. Yeah. The devil made me inhale. buy this dress. You don't know Flip Wilson either, do you? No, but I said, I didn't inhale. I know that one. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It all That's... depends on what is is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've got a great idea. Huh. We get a box. Yeah. And we put a priest in there. Uh-huh. And you just get in the box with them and you tell them what's going on. What do you think? You go tell them what you did? Yeah. Man, that's so novel. Little coin slot in there? Man. Number eight. You heard it here first, people. Man, I'm full of great ideas. Okay, um, number eight. Can the devil influence your dreams? There you go. Devil made me do it. Man. Have you read Screw Tape Letters? I know you have. Yeah, I have. That's scary. Uh, first Peter? No, I'm trying to think of something that's going on there. Um... First Peter, I don't know where you're no, going. No, no, what? Uh, I think First Peter five eight. I know Job, that Eliphaz guy, right? Eliphaz. Yeah, there's some type of an encounter there where he's having like a really crazy dream and wrestling with the devil on that a little bit, and it affects him. And it's it's in Job four twelve. I remember reading that. Uh, some guys reference that. Uh, the devil mess with your head, man. I mean, the devil does not get into your subconscious. Yeah. No, we know that. You're a Christian, you're sealed, you're good. Yeah. Um I I can't think of any clear passage of scripture yeah. where it says that that the enemy 
can influence our dreams. That's not to say that he can't. I mean, just because the Bible is silent on something doesn't necessarily mean that it's not the case. But yeah, I can't think of any verse that explicitly says it. Okay, but like if you're listening, let's say you're watching a lot of really gnarly, horrible stuff. Yeah, you know, you're putting stuff in your brain that's not helpful. Yeah, and then you're having nightmares about it. I mean, I guess by, you know. As they say, garbage in, garbage out. That's true. Yeah. Well, this also... is why Job says, I will set no vile thing before my eyes. Right. So. Is that Job or was that the Psalms? I don't remember. I think it's Job. Job. Yeah. So, so I'm not I'm not 100% sure that the devil can influence your dreams. I do think that the enemy, he seeks to uh, deceive us, and he does that in various ways. The world, we battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the devil uses the things of this world to influence our flesh. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, I got number nine that did not appear on the... The sheet, but I know it came the in. The sheet, you know about this. Um yeah. James 5, 14 and 15 talks about having the elders pray for me if I am sick. Who exactly are the elders? And what are your thoughts on doing this versus just having my friends or family pray for me? Pastor Mark? Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're asked to do it. So it's a good thing. Here's what I like about it. This is what I, what I like about this is when we have people kind of shepherds of the church and the sheep and we're trying to look after them and take care of them and things like that. And that's one of the great things about our prayer cards is when we know they're hurting, Mm -hmm. then there's something that we can do about it. And part of the, the reason we don't want to forsake the gathering of the believers is you become part of a family here. You become part of a place and with families come accountability with families come encouragement. There's benefits to being a part of a family. And sometimes it can be discouraging, you know, family can be rough, but part of that is, is, if the elders of the church, I'll say it would be the pastor or the the elders, the leaders of the church, to just purposely come in and show that intent and that faith to come in and get prayed for by them. A, I think it shows faith. Yeah. Um, and then, so you've, you've already made that step of faith. So you're showing God, hey, I have faith. I'm going out of my way because I, this is what scripture says and I want to do what scripture says and, and this is the avenue you're going to use, Lord. And so... Um, you come in and your pastors, uh, either sometimes we anoint people with oil. Sometimes we're just, we lay hands on them and we laid hands on somebody today, you know, yes, praying for them. Yeah. Um, but we can also ask you questions about things that sometimes there's things going on in your life and you, you know, prayer is the answer, but there may be some very practical reason why these things are going on in your life. So we can also offer counsel at yeah. the time. And so you're not just going there for, uh, you know, there's not a magic secret, Incantation. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that that we say that does you that. Don't, you don't have the secret sauce? I don't. I have Chick-fil-A sauce, but that's different. That's pretty close to secret sauce. Oh, man, I love some Phil's waffle. barbecue sauce is good. Waffle fries are amazing. Oh, man. That's, yeah. Potatoes at this time of the day only only lead you to being really tired. Nap. Mm. So is I anyone, say that. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up on that day. And if he has committed sin, sins will be forgiven him. So, and then that's the confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Effective prayer, effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I think that's the really important part of this whole thing. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And uh, then James gives the example of Elijah, a man with a nature like ours who prayed earnestly for three years and six months that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three years and six months. So he prayed, and God answered prayer. So I think we need to recognize that God desires that we come before him with our petitions and supplications and confessions and thanksgiving and all these different kinds of prayers, and he promises to hear and answer those prayers. He does not always answer in the way that we want him to answer. He doesn't always answer according to my will. That doesn't mean that I don't pray. Lord, I pray for your healing in this situation. And uh, and we pray for a lot of people to be healed. But uh, the question asked, you know, who are the elders of the church? I mean, I'm not sure if that's specifically asking who are the elders at our church. Guys like Greg Danskin, who's a great guy. And, and a loyal listener. He listens to our podcast. So yeah. shout out to Greg Danskin, Elder and Greg. Ken I think Pilden. he listens. Ken's a big fan. Ken, yeah, he sent me a text, told me he he's a fan. And... Uh, so Ken listens, but I, I'm I'm wondering if the elders are listening just to keep keep an eye on us and ear on us. We talked about that. Anything before, you can say will be you hold against, against you, especially yeah. if you record it and put it on the internet. Just the facts, you are man. accountable. 
Yeah. So anyways, uh, so those guys are elders and I'm sure that they would pray. In fact, Ken's a part of our prayer team. He stands up on Sunday mornings, pray for his people. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, Greg Danskin, you should probably get up and pray for people. You have a name tag and everything. So, uh, yeah, we gotta, we gotta get him going. You know, there's nothing like calling a guy out on a public podcast and saying, Greg Danskin, you should come up and pray for people. How come Greg doesn't have a, a connect group? He's, that's a good question. He's, they're so, they're wonderful. People. You know, Greg Danskin, we think God is calling you to be a connect group host. God loves you, and we have a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, boy, don't we? Oh, man. But You man, know, this oh does man. bring up a good, good good question, though. A lot of people don't come forward for prayer. They don't. Either to the pastors or the prayer team. And, it's and like, you make the prayer team people feel so sad. No one came to me for prayer. I know. They're so lonely up there. They are so lonely. Uh, oh, yeah. So, Anyways. Um, <laughs> so but why elders, don't people come? And they, they really should avail themselves of that because it's... A, it's I mean... You wouldn't know it from this podcast, but there's a lot of valuable information we can offer here. You okay with her, Miles? Was the word valuable? Just maybe no, did I overstate no. our case a little bit? One of our lovely loyal listeners texted me and said, where's the podcast? It's it's later than it normally comes. And just so you know, we're recording an extra long podcast just to make up for the fact that this came on Thursday. Instead it's of kind Wednesday. of a penance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we love doing this. Okay, we're done. Are we? We finished? I don't know. You got any more you want to say? I probably nothing of value i mean you guys are going camping tomorrow church camping trip i am excited about going i got here it is here it is may 3rd tomorrow and it's going to be like 40 degrees in the morning in the mountains it's gonna be great beautiful you know why it's gonna be great you gotta you gotta start a nice fire i got a camper oh that's nice you're not in the tent that is helpful yeah i don't think my wife's ready to go back the worst in the world is when you're camping and it's cold and uh and you wake up in the morning and you you stand up and you kind of hit the tent and all this like dewy coldness mm-hmm. drips all over you. Have you ever had that? Happen? Did you read that about that in a book? Because you're not a camper. I've been camping. What, how many I times have you been on camping? I can count on one hand how many times I've been camping. Okay. What's amazing is being at like... Camping for me is like like the Marriott. Because that's kind of like a step down. I don't like that. See, I love, I love camping, roughing it. 9,000 feet in Colorado in October. Three feet of snow on the ground. Elk hunting in a that tent sounds like fun. for a week. You know, I, I would probably do that. I would really, do, I would do that. We need to get you a hunter safety thing so you can go elk hunting. I know, I know. Okay, we're uh, digressing. Digressing. That's okay. Well, church, thanks for listening. Are they going to give us a shout out this weekend? What What is like the secret phrase this weekend? You're the one that comes up with the secret phrases, but I you won't know. be here, so people will come and tell me a secret phrase. Well, I mean, you know the come you know and Yabba-dabba-doo. encourage it yabba dabba do is that the no that's fred flintstone man he wasn't in the bible man oh you know they can just because you've been so hard on sin they can just come up to us and say hey i know the gospel truth how's that sound there you just, go just, I pastor miles truth. i know the gospel truth i know the That'll gospel just, truth i know the gospel truth so the we blood of jesus christ cleanses us from all sin god bless you guys we'll be back we Wednesday know a lot about the Gospels week. and stuff. Next week will be number 15. Wow. We're moving along. It's almost like we should have a special inaugural something or other, or commemorative. That's I what think we are eventually going to have some special guests. I have a whole list. We do. All right. God bless you guys. All right. Adios.